Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Electrify News Podcast. I am here with Aaron Gilmore from Wave. And Aaron, your company is so cool. You guys are doing, if I can summarize it kind of briefly, you guys are doing wireless charging, in-road charging for heavy-duty vehicles. And that's going to be, you know, semi-trucks, Class 8 vehicles, UPS delivery trucks, uh, city buses. I think that's, that's kind of a good overview, right? Yeah. Uh, hi, Joe. It's great to see you again. Uh, my name is Aaron Gilmore. I'm the CEO of Wave. And uh, yes, Wave produces high power wireless charging solutions for really the, the medium and heavy duty space. Um, and we're part of the Ideonomics family of companies that's in this commercial vehicle space. And you're exactly right. You know, what wireless really does is enables you to charge at higher powers generally then uh, plug-in charging, but also allows you a lot more real estate flexibility with what you can do with that charging and a lot more operational flexibility for fleets. Well, right. So, you know, what you and I were talking about before we started recording is this idea that there's a mindset, there's kind of a a one-to-one mindset out there in the industry that charging happens at a charging depot, charging happens with a cable. But with a system like yours, that's not really true anymore. Charging can happen just about anywhere where the truck is in operational duty if it sits there for a known period of time. Is that right? That's true. And, you know, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's just we're all creatures of the past and what we know. You know, the idea that uh, if you're driving an internal combustion engine, you pull up to a, a gas pump and you've got this handheld uh, device that you have to plug into your vehicle to refuel. Um, but the reality is that's not a necessity when you're talking about electricity, you know, inductive charging, wireless charging works. It's here today. It's efficient. People don't really realize that. And you don't have to have one wireless charger to your point for every single vehicle that you have. And you don't have to have a depot necessarily to do that charging. Um, with a wireless solution, you can focus more on what within that duty cycle, what within that entire day, night, whenever you're, you're driving, uh, where are there locations where you stop, where you queue, where somebody takes a break? Any of those places could be locations for wireless charging. Uh, and that makes things much more efficient for the operator. Yeah. And, you know, the example that you and I have talked about before is has always been like the city bus, right, where we know it's going to stop at these stops. It's going to be there for two to three minutes. And while it's there, it's collecting incremental charge from the ground, because I think it goes back to the previous conversation of one to one. When people hear we're going to put charging inductive charging in the road, they automatically imagine, well, that's a trillion dollar project. There's, you know, a million miles of highway in the U.S. How are you going to charge it all? you're not going to charge it all. You're going to put it in these controlled areas where you know the vehicle is going to spend uh, some downtime. So I think in, in the area of the city bus, it's the bus stop. But when you and I were talking in California, you know, at the port of Long Beach, it really made a lot of sense to have it there in that queue as these trucks are waiting to get loaded up. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it's a good point on transit. Transit is sort of the first space that we got involved in because that's where a lot of the 
the money was, that's where some of the vehicles came to market first. And in the transit space, you do have uh, these common nodes, if you will. So where multiple buses go over the same location, whether it's a bus stop, whether it's a transfer center. Um, in fact, there's a lot of circumstances where a transfer center or a particular location could be a node that's a stop for many different transit agencies. So the idea that you could have one wireless charger in that location and have many vehicles using that one charger throughout the day is, is really valid there. Uh, so you can start to see uh, an opportunity to, to get out of this depot mindset where you need a charger for every vehicle. And then to your point on uh, other vehicles, you talk about trucks, for example. Um, trucks going into a port, they do queue up in various areas, uh, both as they're moving into the port and into various uh, terminals. So that's an opportunity. There's yard trucks that are on terminal that move containers around that are 24 seven types of operations where you have two and maybe even three shifts a day. Uh, so continuous operation is really important in a lot of these circumstances as well. And this mentality that you have to have a very large battery that's also very heavy uh, and very expensive just isn't the case. You could have a much smaller battery in any of these circumstances I'm talking about if you have strategically located wireless charging that lets you charge essentially during that duty cycle. And there's a safety aspect to this too, because I mean, as soon as you start talking about you know, these, these big loading centers and loading docks and operations where there's all these trucks running around, you know, we've got the, um, there's a, a certain online retailer that is the super giant of the industry. We won't say their name, but we all know who we're talking about. Um, you know, I, I drive by their, their warehouses and there's 20, 30 trucks all backed up to this loading dock and they're all getting stuff put in there. That's a prime opportunity where the truck isn't moving to be getting a charge, to be charging up that battery. But if you look at it from the point of view of, you know, having a traditional charging station in that space, number one, you're going to have people tripping over those wires, those charging cables going to be heavy, it's going to be hot. And number two, what happens if one of these trucks hits one of those stations? I mean, if you look like you said to me when we were in California, look at the bollards at the port. Every single one of them has been hit. Some of them are at 45 degrees. You know, if you have a big charging depot and you've got these charging stations that are vertical, one guy making a wrong turn could knock out the whole operation. You know, with something in the ground, you can't really hit it, right? So, I mean, there's that aspect of it as well. Uh, those are great examples, and I, I can see you you uh, remember a lot from our last conversation. So, yeah, <laughs> I no, took perfect. notes. Uh, I, whenever I yeah. talk to someone who's like way smarter than me, I always leave the room and scribble everything down. <laughs> so, when you when you talk about ports, that's a, that's a great example. Real estate is at a premium too. Uh, oh, so real estate's at a premium everywhere these days. I mean, that's, that is true. That is true. And, and there's a lot of very large, very heavy containers being moved around in that area. Pretty much, uh, you know, if it's out there, it can get hit. And so the idea that you've got something that's just in ground um, that you cannot hit, or there's, there are no cables that you can run over. I don't know how many times I've seen cables with, uh, you know, the, the charging gun itself that was run over because it, it was left out and yeah. uh, gets smashed. So those are all issues. And you know, to your point about warehouse distribution, I think that was the other point about loading docks. That that is another great opportunity for wireless charging. If, if you think of the logistics of a loading dock and how close those docks are to one another, generally, 
there is really no room to fit a charger. Um, yeah, a that's plug -in true. Charger with I mean, those guys, <laughs> those guys really yeah, you, pack them in tight. Yeah, you couldn't put a charger on the wall of the warehouse and then run a you know sixty or seventy foot cable out to a truck that's backed up with a with a container on the back. That doesn't work. You can't put them in between the trucks unless you literally you know use every other docking bay. Um, and even then, like backing up uh, an 18 wheeler into a docking space when you have chargers that are out, you know, 50, 60 feet from the wall, that just doesn't sound like uh, a good idea. So realistically, that's not being done right now with plug-in chargers. If you have plug-in chargers in that kind of application, it's some off-site depot where, mm -hmm. where they're charging. But again, if you talk to any of the big uh, uh, retailers that are out there or folks that are in this space and, you know, you, you brought up uh, uh, one of the largest ones. I, I remember at, at Expo, uh, Ari Silky, who's the head of the middle mile division was talking about what they need for Amazon. Um, and, you know, his point was minutes and seconds count for us. Minutes so and seconds idea, count, exactly right. Yeah, minutes and seconds count. That was one of his main points in his discussion when he was talking about electrification. And, what really doesn't work with that is the fact that they've got to pull off somewhere and charge in a depot. Where are those hours to charge? Where is that time? If you can charge within the duty cycle when um, a truck is backed up at a dock, when it's loading and unloading anyway, where it's naturally stopped, then that makes a big difference to, to businesses like that. Well, and now we're, now we're really getting into the meat of it, right? Because we're not talking about, you know, the, the thing that's always said is like, well, liquid fuel, whether it's diesel or gasoline or CNG, always is going to have an advantage over electrification because of that downtime that you have to spend charging the vehicle. But now there's no downtime because you can't fill up a truck with diesel while it's sitting there backed up to a loading dock either. So what you've done is you've eliminated those minutes and seconds and hours that are spent pulled off to the side of the road, sitting there at a station and, you know, 20, 30 minutes filling up the gas tanks with diesel, that's all gone. So now you have actually made electrification the time saver. That's exactly where I'd like to go with this, right? And we already have at least two examples I can think of that, uh, that are really what you'd call perpetual operation, mm -hmm. um, where it doesn't even really have extra time to fuel. One of those examples is Universal Studios, where we've uh, we've put our chargers in ground there. There's a total of two 500 kilowatt chargers, so high powered chargers running four trams that they have. They're going to electrify their an entire fleet of 21 trams over time, uh, but those trams literally do not come out of the duty cycle to go be parked somewhere in a depot and charge. They charge for three minutes as they stop to load and unload passengers, and then they go on another tour. So it, it's perpetual operation. And, and the other example that we have that's very similar to that is at the Contra Costa County Transit Authority in Northern California, uh, where there is a charger, and it's one of the older wave chargers, but it's been in operation for over six years now. Um, it's, a, it's a 50 kilowatt charger charging eight buses, essentially perpetually. Um, the, the buses can run their entire loop and really just charge when they're loading and unloading passengers, but never even have to go to a depot. They don't need depot charging. Uh, 
And that even happened. They had some depot charging at one point with, uh, with plug-in chargers. Something happened to those plug-in chargers and the chief operating officer there was ecstatic because he didn't need it. Uh, he never dropped below 80% state of charge if you just use that one charger for eight buses and could run perpetually. So, you know, that's, those are the opportunities that I see in the future. And those are just, you know, simple examples with one stop location where you've got a charger uh, you really can build this into a network of where are the places that you would normally stop for a few minutes and you could run a more perpetual operation. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the easy example of this, you know, if you had a passenger car variant and I, I don't know if that's something you guys are even looking at, but if you had something like that, I can imagine, you know, like the, uh, the drive-throughs have this thing. So you're stuck there for 10 minutes, but while you're there, you get another, you know, 20, 40 miles of charge and you don't have to waste any time. It, it's such a neat concept. And, you know, we talk about all the advantages it has. One that we were talking about just now, when you mentioned that something happened to the depots, it reminded me of an issue that they were having in Chicago over, I think on the north side, where people were cutting the cables. I mean, very dangerous to cut the cables and, and try to steal that copper. But I mean, people are doing it. When these things are built into the ground, that's not really an option anymore. You can't kind of sneak in there in the dead of night and run away with, you know, 20 feet of uh, highway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Vandalism and theft are, are real issues. Um, yeah. I, I was previously with Tesla. Uh, I remember when they started putting in the, the high-speed chargers and, and had problems with theft of those copper cables. They're expensive. And when you're talking about medium and heavy-duty vehicles, it's even worse because we're talking higher power, uh, Longer, heavier, cable, thicker, yeah. longer cables, and just the temptation is there. So, yeah, removing theft. I mean, you mentioned safety. Uh, safety is definitely a big one. People are obviously a little skittish when they're talking about plugging uh, in chargers in, in snow, when it's slippery, it's cold, or in rain and other conditions like that. Um, well, that's a great point. I mean, how many people slip it. and fall on icy concrete? I mean, if you didn't have people slipping and falling on, on the icy concrete, America's Funniest Home Videos would have petered out after like five seasons, right? So, I mean, this is exactly. like a real concern. And I can't imagine, you know, here in Chicago, you have an Amazon center with 40 trucks and people running around those trucks constantly in the iciness, trying to plug everything in at the same time that everybody's slipping and falling and salting each other. Like, if you just have it in the ground, does it still work with that ice and snow? It doesn't. Because I mean, you can't insulate against magnetism, right? So it doesn't care. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a common question that you get is what happens if it's covered with snow? What happens if it's, you know, under a few inches of water? What happens if there's mud over the top? And essentially, uh, there's no impact. You know, the magnetic field will pass right through those substances and, and uh, will transfer power. That, I, <laughs> I mean, you say that so calmly, but that is such a huge revelation like i guarantee you people sitting there right now in their little nissan leaf or tesla model 3 are going wait the magnetic field will go through anything i don't have to get out of my car in the middle of this rainstorm or you know in 100 degree heat i don't need to get out of the car and and plug in and get sweaty and gross i can just pull over it and it starts doing its thing and it's a fast charge you know dc level fast charger yeah that's a real thing and it, you as you said this isn't something that's new. You've been, you've got some of these in operation now, six, seven years, right? That's right. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's one of those things people don't realize. Wave's been around for about 11 years now oh, wow. and really been working on 
perfecting the technology. And a lot of that has been, how do we bring it to higher power? How do we keep the efficiency up? That's what a lot of companies who have tried wireless charging have struggled with is, is how to keep that efficiency higher. I mean, your, your iPhone charger, I think that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the one that everybody thinks about when they think about wireless, dropping an iPhone on a, on a wireless charger. Those are pretty inefficient, but nobody really cares because we're not talking about a lot of power. Right. Um, you know, we have had to pay a lot of attention to the engineering that goes in placement of ferrites and, and other materials to direct that magnetic field and, and tune it such that you don't have efficiency losses. And so we've been able to do that. We're, we're now pretty commonly above 92% efficiency, uh, see even higher than that in the lab. And the reality is that's at the kinds of efficiencies that you see or even higher than some plug-in charging, because especially when you get to those higher power levels, plug-in charging has that much more heat loss and other things that are associated with its efficiency. So um, it's one of those things I'm really excited about. And, and I think as the market learns what wireless charging can really do, it, it, there's going to be no turning back because I think a lot of the mantra, like you said, is, is just about a, a historic precedent of how you do business and, and how you fuel vehicles. And people have not begun to really realize what the benefits are of, of wireless when you start thinking about the real estate aspects, the safety aspects, um, and the labor aspects involved. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where if you look at the big picture, it's just going to be such a cost savings. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take but one or two workman's comp claims to like really offset a lot of costs. We're starting to hear that feedback too from, uh, from some of the, the transit agencies in particular that have been doing this for a few years. Uh, and they do have those depots where they have people plugging in chargers. I've, I've seen plug-in chargers where you've got to plug in two, two for every bus or as high as three mm -hmm. plug-in chargers on, on some of these. And it's, it's not an insignificant amount of labor. Uh, I've seen on, on also uh, on buses, uh, there's overhead pantograph chargers, right? Which take away some of the labor issues. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Where it's, where it's like uh, in the, in the yeah. overhead power line, they kind of just, connect. I think they have them in the Chicago area, you know, out where you are. Um, and, but the issue there is the transit agencies are also fear. What do I got to do when I have to maintain those? What if something breaks? It's 25 feet in the air. It's over an active roadway or, um, you know, what, I don't really want to put my maintenance folks on top of a bus. Mm -hmm. to work on something it, it's mechanical parts at the end of the day and, yeah. and mechanical parts break and they need to be maintained and it's a it's a challenge so yeah something that has no moving parts it's embedded in the roadway you just don't even have to think about essentially is a huge benefit to, to yeah. any fleet now this is under the road right so it's not like a charging mat that you drive over it this is built into the infrastructure yeah that's correct um our pad is maybe eight inches deep, eight to 10 inches deep in the road. Uh, it's usually embedded uh, in concrete, so it doesn't move around and you can drive heavy duty vehicles on it. Um, so that's the idea, but it's totally flush with the ground. Uh, you won't even know it's there essentially. Yeah, so like, it, this just seems like something that everybody should know about. And obviously I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure everybody knows about it, right? But you know, what's the end game here? I mean, it seems like, if all you did was focus on the over-the-road semis and the big city buses, I mean, for every one of those, if you want to talk in terms of like 
carbon offsets and emissions and things like that in environmental terms, every one of those that you can convert to electricity is going to be the equivalent of, you know, a, a dozen or two dozen passenger cars. So like, this is obviously a, a big, big deal. How do you get from, from where you are now in terms of pilot programs and this and that to something that's a much more widespread adoption? Is it going to take a Walmart or an Amazon to, uh, to buy into it? Have they already bought into it? Well, certainly names like that, you know, make a big difference because everybody takes notice uh, when that happens. But we do have some some big names, you know, already uh, making investments in this area. The Port of L.A. is, is a good one. When we were close close to it down there in Long Beach. Uh, we've got several projects uh, about to begin. Uh, one of them at the West Basin Container Terminal, Port of L.A., that's going to receive 10 yard trucks. It's yeah, that's got huge. Two of them there. Uh, that is very visible, and and uh, every terminal operator is watching that project, right? Because they know the labor issues, all these things we've talked about, and they can't wait to see how it works. You know, does this really work the way everybody says it's going to? So a lot of attention there. Um, there's there's a lot of attention on the transit agencies that we've been working with for for these years. I, I think it's going to come, right? It just it just takes some time. Uh, it, it takes changing a mentality because wireless charging on a one-to-one -one basis is more expensive than plug-in charging. So you really have to understand the logistics of what you're trying to accomplish. You know, how can you get that one-to-many concept to work? One charger to many vehicles, because that's what really makes the economics uh, pay off, plus the operational efficiencies. So it's, it's not an intuitive, easy thing for them to just say, yeah, this is going to be less expensive. They really need to look at their operation, start to see the numbers, and then they understand. And so that's a bit of an evolution, but we're, we're definitely making a lot of strides there as we get more and more customers that can say, hey, I've seen the numbers, I've seen the operations, I've seen the differences in labor and workers' comp claims and things like that. Uh, and then they're able to speak to those issues. I, I just think it's tremendous. And I, you know, you and I were joking about this in California that I think your biggest problem is that this concept is too smart. <laughs> it, it requires a lot of math and a lot of thinking to go, yeah, you know, I, I don't have to take this to the gas station or the charging station. I don't have to plug it in at home. It just kind of does its own thing throughout the normal course of operation. I think that's going to blow a lot of minds once they finally do see it and they have that sort of light bulb moment, right, from the cartoons. Um, you know, Aaron, you've been very gracious and I know, uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit pressed for time because I was late coming onto this thing and I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, we, we obviously thank you for being a part of the show. What can our listeners do to learn more about what you're doing to kind of get a sense of how this might work for what they're doing, uh, you know, in, in their fleet operations? Right. Well, uh, there are some great case studies that you can get on our website at www.waveipt.com. Uh, you can learn about some of the case studies that I talked about, whether it's uh, uh, Contra Costa Transit Authority, uh, Antelope Valley Transit Authority is another one that's been operating for over five years. And is, is, that's really the biggest one that we've got out there um, with over... 47 buses that are wirelessly charged. Wow. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really no coincidence that they have become the first transit agency that's got 100% electric. And the reason they're able to do it is because they can do all the routes. Um, and they don't, 
they don't have to have duplicate buses or something like that to reach the range that they need to get. So there's a lot out there that you can read about and learn. Um, I think the, the world itself is going to more of a, a sharing economy than uh, you know, one of, of, of property ownership. You know, the, there's the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all those things out there today. And I think this concept of a one-to-many, one charger to many, where you could share with various transit agencies, um, chargers and, and or uh, different trucking operations, I think we're just we're just on the tip of that, and um, and there's a lot that uh, that we're going to see in these these years that are coming up right now, where we transition to something that looks much more like perpetual operation. Uh, that's the future that I think we see here. Wave. I love how you drop concepts like perpetual operation, which has been like a dream since the dawn of the industrial revolution. It's like, yeah, we figured out how to do that. There's a couple of case studies showing it. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> So guys, if you're listening to this and you're not like your jaw is just not on the floor, rewind it a few minutes and listen closely to what Aaron is telling you. Uh, once again, Aaron Gilmore, CEO of Wave, part of the Ideanomics Group. Uh, it, always a pleasure, man. Hopefully we get to uh, see each other and hang out again soon before the next expo. And uh, dude, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast. Brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV. And follow along on social media for daily clips and more.